0: open our Bibles together to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Our pastors ask that we read the first 19 verses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as in heat, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I'll draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The the mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord. Till thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. In the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots, with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and... Father in heaven, Lord, we thank Thee for this, Thy Word. Lord, truly, who is who is a God like unto Thee? Lord, we thank You for the, the privilege of gathering together here as a people this morning. Lord, let us not take this for granted. Lord, the privilege of, of worship. Lord, to... To sing these hymns of, of praise, to, to read thy word. Lord, to, to offer up our thanks unto thee. Lord, to, to hear thy word proclaimed. Lord, cause us to be to be thankful and not take these things for for granted. Truly what a what a privilege it is to approach unto thee. Lord, we thank you that Lord, you've delivered your people. Lord, that you've, you've taken our sin and cast it into the, to the depths of the sea. Lord, that you have redeemed us, Lord, by the, by the blood of thy Son. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, enable us to, to worship thee here this morning. Lord, bless us as we hear and, and Lord, bless our pastor as he stands in this place to, to proclaim the truth of thy word. Lord, take that which you've, you've laid upon his heart, that which he's studied and, and prepared and, and Lord, sp- speak to thy people this morning. Lord, speak through thy servant. Lord, we, we thank you for these many young ones that you've, you've given us. Lord, we have so much to be thankful Amen. for. And Lord, we pray that you Watch over and, and protect and, and keep them, Lord. In this in this world, but Lord, above all things, that you would be merciful to them. Lord, that you would reveal your Son to them. That you would Lord cause us, cause Thy people, to see Christ. Enable us to rest in Him in all things. Lord, for those of our number who, are in a time of, of trouble and difficulty, those who are sick and those who are, who are away from us, Lord you'd comfort and heal and, and Lord, enable them to, to return speedily here to this place. Now, again, we, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, bless us here this morning. Bless us with your word. Set aside the, the thoughts and cares of this world. Let us see Christ, which in his name we pray and give thee thanks. Amen.
1: Just keep your Bibles open to that passage where Eric just read for us. I've titled the message this morning, Who is like unto thee, O Lord? I hope the Lord's given me a message and enables me to preach it in such a way that we're simply awestruck at who God is and that He has enabled us to know Him and to worship Him. Now, the scene here is Moses leads the people in singing this song. The Lord has just set his people, Israel, free from bondage in Egypt. they have been there 430 years, and now they're free. They crossed over, Israel did. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. You know, they got trapped there at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was coming, and they were scared. They thought surely they'd be destroyed, and Moses told them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Lord delivered them through that Red Sea. They walked through on, on dry ground. And then Pharaoh and his army, the mightiest army in the history of the world at that point, they were going to come through the Red Sea and chase them down. And Lord brought that walls of water down on them, destroyed that mighty army, drowned them all in the Red Sea. Now, to anybody watching this go on, it was obvious. The Lord has brought his people out of bondage at with a mighty stretched out arm. The Lord set his people free and he did it through a picture of the blood atonement of Christ. Remember that Passover? That was the the first Passover. That's what caused Israel to be set free. Remember the all the firstborn in the land of Egypt died and they thrust Israel out. They gave them all their gold and silver and told them, here's money for your journey, get out of here. They were delivered through the blood atonement. The Lord delivered his people by himself. Over three million, may have been three million men, I don't know, it could have been more, but at least three million slaves were set free against their master's will and they never fired a single shot. The Lord set his people free, didn't he? The Lord did it and everybody knew it. And now Moses leads all three million of these former slaves and singing this song of praise to God. And it's such a, such a great song. And I'm not going to get it for time's sake into any of the verses except one phrase in it in verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Well, the answer is no one. No one. There is no God like our God. There's no idol like our God. There's none like our God. And I want to give you six ways that that's true. Number one, there's no God like our God in His holiness and His grace. Now, there's no idol. This is what we read in Isaiah chapter 40. There's no idol that can be compared to our God. You know, idols, they either forgive sin without punishing sin, or they're so strict that they punish nearly every sin and you just got to be real good to please them. you got to be very, very careful, you know, because they pretty much punish all sin. you got to do something pretty spectacular to please them. One or the other. I mean, they either ignore justice or they're just completely just. No idol man has ever devised has found a way to both forgive sin and punish sin at the same time. You won't find a single idol. You won't find a single message that men have come up with that can do both of those things at the same time. Be merciful and just at the same time. Can't be found. The only place that can be found is our God. The true and living God. That's why there's none like Him. There's no Lord like our God. Our God. The God of the Bible. He's holy and He's merciful. He's both just and he's forgiving. You know, Moses' song here, he says, the Lord is glorious in holiness. God's holiness is majestic. It's majestic. God is holy. He's holy. He's without sin. Another meaning of that word is other. He's other than us. God is holy. God's character is holy. Holy. So everything God does is majestic in his holiness. He will never ignore sin. He's glorious in his holiness. We saw that he destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Every last one of them. But you know, God is also merciful. He redeems his people. Look over at verse 13. Thou and thy mercy. Now you're holy, you're glorious in holiness. But thou and thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. God redeems his people from their sin. In the night of the first Passover, the Lord gave us a picture of how he's going to do this. He He gave us a picture of the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. In God's redemption, when God redeems his people, all sin is punished. There's not a single sin that goes unpunished. The firstborn in the Israelites' houses, they lived, didn't they? They all lived. Why did they live? Because when the the Lord came through in judgment that night, he passed over the houses of the Israelites because there was blood on the door. Blood on the door signified there's already been death in this home tonight. The substitute has died. The blood's been applied. And God could pass over that house because he saw the blood. Justice has been satisfied. Sin had already been punished in the person of the substitute. But when the Lord came to the houses of the Egyptians, there was no blood, was there? No blood on the door. There had been no death in that home yet that night. Sin had not yet been punished with death in that home. So God came in and he killed the firstborn in justice. And that's what God said he'd do. So he's just in doing it. He's just and holy (laughs) Because he's majestic. He's glorious in his holiness. Everything God does is holy and right. It was right for God to come in and kill that firstborn because there's no blood. Sin must be punished. God must punish all sin. And sin will either be punished in the death of Christ our substitute or in our eternal condemnation. One way or the other. All sin will be punished. The only way a holy God can pardon your sin, forgive you of your sin, is if Christ died as your substitute. See, that's how God is both just and merciful at the same time. He's merciful to you because he dealt in justice with his son, your substitute. Look over at uh, Micah chapter 7. If you have the authorized version, that's page 1158. It's between Jonah... And Nahum. If Christ died for you, you are redeemed, and you can never die. Never. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. Because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob. And the mercy to Abraham. Which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Now God pardons the sin of his people. He passes by the transgression of his people. Why? Because he cast their sins into the depths of the sea. And that's a picture for this. He made their sins to not exist anymore. I mean now we can send a unmanned submarine and find, you know, old shipwrecks and things, but then they couldn't. Something's cast in the depths of the sea. It doesn't exist anymore. Gone forever. That's what Christ did with the sins of his people. He cast them into the depths of the sea. He made them to not exist anymore when he shed his blood. Paid for those sins God punished sin didn't he he just and he's merciful that just merciful salvation can only be found in the Lord Jehovah our God salvation that satisfies holiness and mercy that's doing wondrously that's what Moses said the Lord does wondrously the most wondrous thing God has ever done to save his people in justice. Show mercy to them in justice. That's the most wondrous thing God has ever done. There's no God like our God. If he saves you, you can never lose that salvation. Because it's just and right. If God punished Christ for your sin, the same justice that demands Christ die as your substitute, also demands that you live. That salvation can only be found in Christ. There's no God like unto our God. All right, number two, look at Deuteronomy chapter 33. There's no God like our God as a refuge from God's justice. Deuteronomy 33 verse 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say destroy them. Christ our Savior is God's eternal refuge and that refuge is held up by God's everlasting arms. Now to my way of thinking, that's safe. To be hidden in Christ, held up by God's everlasting arms, that's safe. Nothing can touch you there. If you're hiding in Christ, God's justice can never touch you. Never. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only refuge that can stand up to God's wrath against sin. He already did it upon Calvary's tree. God's wrath. Against the sin of his people. God the Father made his son sin for his people. And he, the Father poured out his wrath upon his son. But it didn't destroy the son, did it? When sin was put away, what did Christ do? He gave up the ghost. that's the only sacrifice that ever consumed the fire. He suffered until the fire of God's wrath went out and then he gave up the ghost because justice demands death for sin. He's already held up as the refuge. Now you hide in him. If you're hiding in Christ, God's justice can never touch you because it's already been satisfied by the death of your substitute. I thought of that. I was going over my notes this morning and I thought of that. You're not hiding in Christ like a guilty criminal that they, well, that, you know, they just can't find you. Your justice just can't, you're hiding there as a, as a guilty criminal, but you're safe because nobody can find you. That's not the case. You're safe in Christ because if you're in Christ, brother, God's wrath's not even looking for you. Not looking for you. It's already been satisfied by the death of your substitute. See, there's no other refuge like Christ our Savior. No refuge. All man's religion had comes up with something based upon you to do that makes your sin okay. Maybe you confess your sin to a fella, you know, in a little, little dark booth or something, you know. Maybe, uh, you say so many, you know, their little mantras. Maybe you, uh, give so much money to the church. Maybe you do so many good works. Whatever, whatever it is, something, some part of your safety depends on something that you do. Every other religion but the gospel. Every religion gives you something to do. It depends upon you in some way. And God's word tells us how that deal will end up. Oh, you think you got a refuge, don't you? It's a refuge of my works. It's a refuge of things I've done make God happy with me. And God calls it a refuge of lies. He said, my wrath comes, it'll sweep it away. The only refuge that won't be swept away is Christ our Savior. Everybody in Him will always be safe. And that brings me to the third thing. Look at the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Third thing is this. There's none like our God as a foundation of salvation. If our salvation is going to stand eternally, there's got to be a foundation, doesn't there? There's no God like our, like our God as a foundation. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1, and Hannah prayed, and it said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. In thy, not something I've done, in thy salvation. The salvation you gave me. There is none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like unto our God. Now that rock that Hannah's talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation of our salvation. Peter said that Christ is that rock. He's the chief cornerstone. He's elect. He's precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Will never be found guilty. If Christ is the foundation of your salvation, you can never be moved. You'll never be moved off of Him because Christ will never be moved. It's not because you won't be moved. It's not because the strength of your faith is so strong you won't be moved. If the foundation of your salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never be moved because He can't be moved. As I said a minute ago, he's already stood up to the wrath of God for the sin of his people. If the Father's wrath didn't move him, nothing else is going to. Nothing's going to move him. He's already shielded his people from the fire of God's wrath. He bore it for them. Now you hide in him. You hide in that rock and you'll be safe. You build all of your hope upon him and you'll be safe. And we didn't have time to turn to all these scriptures, but let me read you a few scriptures here. Show you that Christ our rock and why we can depend upon Him. David said in Psalm 62, verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Now, if the only hope I have is Christ, I'll never be moved. Never. Never. Now, if any of our refuge, if it depends, if our refuge we're hoping to hide from God's justice against our sins, if any of that refuge is based on my works, it's Christ plus something I've done to shore that thing up. If if my works has anything to do with it, I've not built on Christ at all. I've built on the sinking sand of man's works and God said that refuge will be swept away. But if our refuge is built on Christ and Christ alone, We built upon the solid rock and will always be secure. Always. That's why David said, I shall not be moved. If I'm built on Christ, founded upon Christ, I shall not be moved. And I'll tell you why we shall not be moved. Here's the other thing about Christ our rock. He's made his people Like I said a little bit ago, it's not like you're guilty and you're hiding in Christ and you're just getting away with it because nobody can find you because you're hiding in Him. Christ has made His people perfect. That's what our rock has done. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is our rock. His work is perfect. The work of righteousness that our Savior came to do is perfect. And that's how He made His people perfect. He didn't obey the law for himself. He was already righteous. He's already holy. Why was he obeying the law? For you, his people. He's obeying the law for his people as their representative. And his work is perfect. His obedience is perfect. His righteousness is perfect. His holiness is perfect. And that's the perfect righteousness of his people. Our rock is not just like a rock sitting there in the dirt doing Nothing. He came and in his work made his people perfect. In our rock, I thought about this. When I was a kid, we'd go to uh, visit our aunts and uncles and the whole family, you know, get together, holidays and things. Man, I slept on a sleeping bag on the floor. I mean, I was fine. I thought that, actually, I thought this is just as comfortable as a bed. I can't sit on the floor for five minutes anymore, hiding in a rock, sitting on a rock. Honestly, that doesn't sound all that appealing to me. It it seems pretty uncomfortable to me. Christ, our rock, does not give his people a hard, ungiving, difficult place to rest. Christ, our rock, gives his people the sweetness of the gospel. We're not up here just talking about doctrinal facts. This gospel's sweet. You know, if we if we fall into the trap of just preaching against all the error out there in the world, we're going to have a hard edge to us. The gospel is sweet. It ought to break our heart and tenderize our heart every time we hear it. Christ, our Rock, gives His people the sweetness. Of the forgiveness of our sin. The sweetness of acceptance. With the father. He gives us the sweetness. Of his love. For us. Can you think of anything sweeter. Than the one. Who's majestic in his holiness. Loving somebody like you and me. (laughs) I can't. It's sweet isn't it. That's our rock. I'm not just making that up either. Deuteronomy 32, verse 13. He made him to suck honey out of a rock. Now, how in this world are you going to get honey out of a rock? Only Christ our rock. He gives his people the honey, the sweetness of the gospel. You're not going to find any other foundation gives you that. Every other foundation the man gives you to try to build your salvation upon, is always going to give you bitterness. Because it's give you something to do that you can't do. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, what our rock gives His people, on top of all that, our rock was smitten. He was smitten for our sin. Remember, <laughs> it's not long after they sang this, this glorious song of redemption when they came out of Egypt. I mean, just days. And they were complaining at Moses. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? You brought us out here to die in the thirst. It'd been better for us if we just ate slaves. Mm-mm-mm. And remember what the Lord did? He told Moses, He said, I'll be on that rock. Take your rod and you smite that rock. And Moses did. And out gushed water. Out gushed water. Enough for three million people and their animals saved them all from dying of thirst one rock one smiting oh there's no rock like our rock what other rock can give you water scripture another place calls it a flinty rock (laughs) water don't come through this thing now water didn't seep through it like osmosis or something water came from the rock what rock can do that None but our rock. And Paul told us that rock was Christ. That rock, that great rock in the wilderness, followed the people through the wilderness. And Paul said that rock was Christ, who was smitten one time. He was smitten once by his one sacrifice for sin. He perfected forever them that are sanctified. When Christ our Savior was smitten, when that old hard hearted, mean, Roman soldier, you know, he's used to seeing death. He's just, you know, just like <clears throat> pour it on. The Lord's already dead. But just for meanness sake, he poked that spear up into the Savior's side. And John said, no, I saw this. I saw this. This is true. I'm an eyewitness to this. Outflowed blood and water. Our rock was smitten. And outflowed blood and water. Blood to atone for sin. Water to cleanse us from all of our sin. Now I ask you, what other rock can do that? What other idol can do that? Can you name one? That both pays for your sin and cleanses you from sin too? No one but Christ. There's no God like unto our Lord. None. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior we have to trust. It's it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Right, the fourth thing, look at Psalm 71. Psalm 71. I touched on this a minute ago. There's none like our God in His righteousness. Psalm 71, verse 19. Thy righteousness also, O Lord, O God, is very high, who has done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? Now God himself is righteous. It's like holiness. It's his nature. His nature is to be righteous and holy. And in and of itself, that's a wonder. No one else is righteous but our God. Not one. There's never been a man to live who's righteous except the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one in all of creation who's righteous is our God. He's the only one. That makes it a wonder, doesn't it? But David says here, God has done great things. One of the greatest wonders God has ever done is making His people truly righteous. The Father made the Son sin. He made Him sin for His people. And the Savior took that sin of his people into his own body upon the tree and he put it away by the sacrifice of himself. And because that sin's gone, it's been washed away, the price has been paid in full, the Lord Jesus Christ made his people to be the righteousness of God in him. He made them to be righteous. That new man born of God is righteous and he can never sin. Now, I know the flesh is still there, and all he can do is sin, but the new man born of God can never sin because his nature is righteous. The old man, all he does is sin because that's nature. <laughs> the new man can never sin because that's his nature. And people will say, you I know you've heard people say this. They say, well, now, we're not really righteous. That's just the way that God sees us. We will be someday, you know, in in heaven, but we're not really righteous now because that's just the way, you know, that's just what God's calling it. I beg your pardon. Beg your pardon. God's holy. He's not an unjust judge that's going to call something it's not. The way God sees things is the way they really are. The problem is the way we see things. The way God sees things is the way they really are. You and I are looking on the outward. The flesh. Well, there's no evidence of righteousness there, is there? God looks on the heart. The heart that He made. The heart that He gave you. The heart that He made righteous. <laughs> no one else, could, nobody else even claims to do this. There's not another idol even claims to do this to make God's sinful people to be righteous. Oh, there's none like our God in His righteousness that He gave His people his righteousness, and actually made him righteous. All right, here's the fifth thing. Look at Psalm 89. There's none like our God in his faithfulness. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Now, the true living God is a covenant God. As I tell you often, when we talk about God being a covenant God, what we mean is this. What God is doing now is what he promised to do before creation. What God is doing now is what he promised to do before man ever got here. You know, people make it sound like, well, God's sovereign, but the way they make it sound is well God is is reacting to what you and I are doing and he sees oh well you know they've sinned or they've gone off on a tangent here and I've got to react. I've got to correct things. Keep constantly you know bringing it back so that my purpose is accomplished. That's like autopilot on a plane. If I understand how that works autopilot you know the, the wind blows this way and the autopilot keeps correcting it. God's not correcting things. <laughs> He's doing what he promised to do before he created anything. That's what God is doing. He promised he's going to do it and he's faithful to do it. He's faithful. The Old Testament scriptures are full of that truth, aren't they? And the example that we'll use is God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, God promised Abraham he'd do that. He said, Abraham, your descendants are going to go down into Egypt. And they'll be there about 400 years. I'm going to bring them out. Now, it took a long time for it to happen, but that's just exactly what God did. He did it, and he did it in the time that he said he'd do it. God always keeps his promise. And all of that is given to us as a picture of salvation. Now, God's faithful to keep his promise. He's faithful to his word. Then that means the salvation of God's elect is sure. Because God promised to save us. And Hebrews 10 verse 13 says he is faithful that promised. (laughs) He'll keep his word. See, the salvation of God's elect is not based upon our works. It's not based upon our faithfulness. It's based upon God's covenant. God's covenant of grace. His promise to save his people by his grace. Not through our works, but through the work of Christ. By his doing and his dying. God has promised to save a people And right now, that's just exactly what he's doing. He's saving and feeding and keeping his people by the preaching of his word. Now, God does save his people through faith, by grace, through faith, through the faith that God gives you. If you would be saved, you must believe on Christ. I call on every one of you right now, you and me both, believe on Christ. But now I'm not giving you work to do. The only way we can believe Christ is if God gives us faith to believe him. We're saved through faith. But also don't be mistaken about this. Faith is not a work for you to do, something you to make up and produce in yourself. And also don't be mistaken about this. We should be faithful. Oh, we should be faithful. But no part of our salvation is based upon our faithfulness our faithfulness to keep ourselves, our faithfulness to, to Christ. And that's a mighty good thing because our faith is so weak and so fickle. I mean, the slightest thing can shake our faith. It? It, 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 I mean, just something in the flesh, just anything can shake our faith. But salvation is not based upon our faithfulness. It's not based upon the strength of our faith. We should be faithful. Oh, we, our faith should be so strong but well, let's just be honest with each other. It's not, is it? Well, I'm glad to be able to tell you salvation is not based upon the strength of your faith or your faithfulness. Salvation is dependent upon the object of our faith. Salvation, the salvation of a sinner is dependent upon the faithfulness of Christ to do everything necessary to save his people from their sin. And that's just exactly what he's done. Hold your place in the Psalms. We'll come back there in just a second. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, by his works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by our works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. How are we justified? By the faith of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ to fully accomplish everything that the Father sent him to do. And I tell you, that makes me glad. I'm so glad that salvation depends, all of it, upon Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. Christ saves His people. He tells His people, I've done it all for you. It is finished, He said. Well, that takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? There's no idol like our God. They all put pressure on you. They all put pressure on you. Years ago, I worked for a man. He was, he was very religious. Very, very, very wealthy. And he told me, he said, every once in a while, I got I to gotta tell the, that that preacher of mine, quit calling me out and telling me to give more. Just let everybody give. Quit calling me out. He said, did your pastor do that? I said, never. <laughs> he didn't believe me. He did not believe me. Because that just going to going to church, going to his religion, having that religion put a guilt trip on you and put pressure on you is just normal. He just thought that's what religion is. Our Savior takes all the pressure off. Now aren't you thankful to depend on Him? Aren't you? Alright, here's the last thing. Look at Psalm 113. There's none... Like our God, in His pity for sinners. Psalm 113, verse 5. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. We think about our God being high and lofty and we really got no idea. Our God is so high above us. He's so high and holy. He has to humble himself to behold things in heaven. I mean, you and I just, we, we strain and we can't even imagine what heaven's like, the glory of that place. He's got to humble himself to behold things in heaven. Huh. Not that being so, try to imagine how God's got to humble himself to behold us. Specks of dust in his creation. How far does he have to humble himself to look at you and me? I'm telling you, there's no God like unto our God. He doesn't just look at his people in their low estate. He does something about it. Look at verse 7. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Now if the Lord's got to humble himself to look at things in heaven, just look at them. How did he humble himself to become an embryo in the womb of a virgin? How far did he have to go down? How far did he have to humble himself to take on him flesh? so that he could save a sinful people in the flesh. I'm sure many men have said it, but the first man I ever heard say this was Brother Hap Yates. He said, Christ being made flesh, that's the longest journey ever taken. And it was a journey down, buddy. Oh, how he humbled himself. And then he humbled himself further. How did the Holy Son of God humble himself to be made sin for his people? How did the prince of life humble himself to die for the sin of his people? It's unimaginable. Unimaginable. Get a hold of your seat. He humbled himself and he did all that because he loves his people. He said he did it for the joy that was set before him. The joy of redeeming his people that he loves from their sins. Now, I'm telling you, there is no God like our Lord. Nobody else would pity such wretched cases as you and me. Man's religion is always looking for the princes of this world, the rich and the powerful, somebody that can do something for them. Our God has such pity for his people. He saves somebody that can't do anything for him. (laughs) Who else but our God would save a sinner like me All of my sin is willful sin and willful rebellion against Him, yet He's the one that came and paid for my sin. Who else would do that? Nobody but Jehovah. There's no God like our God. Who else would save a dead, stinking, rotten sinner and give them life even though they could never do one thing to please Him? Who else would do that? I ask you. Nobody but our God. Only Jehovah. Who else would love a rebellious sinner so much that he would slaughter his only son to pay for my sin and bring me into his presence? Who? Nobody but our God. Oh, there is no God like unto our God. Many of you here know him. Aren't you glad to know that God? Aren't you amazed that God will reveal himself to you? That makes you worship, doesn't it? If he'll show us who he is like that, we'll worship him. I pray we will. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you that there is no God like unto thee. There's no Savior like our Savior. Father, I, I pray, I beg of you that you would take your word as it's been preached this morning. Enable us to see your glory in it. Enable us to see the glory of Christ our Savior in it. And cause us to run to Him. Cause us to bow at your feet and worship. Thankful, grateful, heart cheering worship. Worship and adoration of our God who's so great and high and lofty yet would still do something for the lowest of the low like we are. Father, how we thank you. Bless your word for your glory. Father, it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake and his glory, we pray. Amen. All right, Jonathan. Y'all remember, check this directory down here so I can make sure I got everything right, all right?